Well, thank you for joining us for another Natter and Noor conversation. This series is being hosted by Clarion Call, and Clarion Call's whole ambition is to get behind people who are trying to work together for meaningful change that follows a community's call to action. In this series, we're interested in exploring movement building for whole of community change. We focus on the how. We're stepping behind the curtain and looking at what works and what gets in the way. We would like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which we are meeting today and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. We would also like to acknowledge that all of our work can be strengthened by listening to the voice of our First Nation peoples and carrying their wisdom and practices into the work as we go forward. I'm your host, Sharon Fraser, one of the co-founders of Clarion Call, and I'm joined today by two incredible people, Bruce McKenzie and David Lilly. We will be exploring something a little bit different today. Rather than exploring a particular social topic, we're looking at what sits across all of our social topics, and we're looking at how systems thinking supports and or doesn't support movement building for social change in a complex social issue. So as I've said, I'm joining today from Jara country, the land of the Jajarung people. Bruce, where are you joining us from today? I'm from uh, Urin country where I'm with Woody Woody people. Thanks very much, Bruce. And you, David? I'm on Batagal land today. Beautiful. Now, David, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and the experiences you are drawing from in today's conversation around systems thinking for movement making? Sure. Look, I've been doing place-based work, community development, social planning, community collaborations, those sorts of things for about 20 years, and particularly in social housing communities. Uh, I'm also doing a PhD at the moment, which is on why health, wellbeing and equity are not being prioritised in public policy and administration and how that might be shifted. So they're probably the two things that I'm drawing on uh, practical experience in the place-based field and PhD research where I'm using systems theory and systems thinking to explore social policy issues. Mm, Beautiful. Lovely combination, David. Really looking forward to this. And yourself, Bruce? Right. My background has been in a whole range of areas over a number of years. So as a systems thinker, all of them have contributed in some way or other. Systems thinking generally isn't something you learn at a particular point of life. It emerges through a whole range of experiences. So I started life as a phys ed teacher and moved into community development, social welfare, then found myself in academia, uh, found myself teaching communications. And uh, about 30 years ago, I met a person who said, what you do is what I talk about. So I had this moment of suddenly realizing that I've been a system sinker most of my life, but no one had ever told me and I didn't know about that. And so for the last 30 years, I really said, okay, I really want to get into this because I'm comfortable in this sort of work. And so I've been a a teacher around the world to many faculties and at universities and businesses teaching systems thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's a practice that I carry into my own community or into every dimension of my life. A systems thinker in your soul rather than just academically, Bruce, I believe. So, look, the term systems thinking is bandied around a lot at the moment. It's quite a modern catchphrase that people are talking about. 
I'd really like us to understand together, though, what systems thinking is. So, Bruce, can you tell us what you believe systems thinking is? And I think the important part of your comment then was what Bruce thinks systems thinking is. (laughs) Because we could put 20 people who are systems thinkers in the room and they'd all give you slightly different understandings of it. I think much of its popularity is around the idea of systematic. Things are done in order or things are grouped and connected because they make sense, like thinking about the railways as a system, thinking about hospitals as a system. Where I'm coming from, that's not systems thinking. What I mean by systems thinking, it is a way of thinking about something. What are the relationships between various items that make up a whole rather than the parts themselves? Mm. So you get some people who will look at at a a whole entity and they'll talk primarily about the parts. And there are some people who talk about the processes that those parts engage in. Mm -hmm. For me, a systems thinker is the one talking about the process. And hence, when you set out to use systems thinking, you're talking about relationships and the flow of knowledge between the various parts of the thing. Interesting. And what about yourself, David? What do you see systems thinking as being? Well, I wonder if I could shift the question slightly and Mm -hmm. and put systems thinking in a slightly broader context. So I think conceptually we can think about this in four layers of sort of increasing depth. If we start with systems language, and that's around the terminology for systems, system components, system processes and what have you, then we can think about systems thinking Mm. that idea of the interrelationships between parts and those sorts of things. And then beyond that, there's sort of systems practice where you draw on that systems thinking to actually do something in the world. And then beyond that, there's sort of being systemic, which I think is what Bruce was getting to when he talked about it. It's more an orientation to the world. It's part of who you are and it's how Mm. you approach everything that you do. So I think if we think about that, those four different elements, then systems thinking is a really important part of orienting yourself to the world systemically. Mm. So can you give us an example? I know Bruce has talked about systemic thinking versus systems thinking. And I think, David, you've gone into what that systems thinking mode of work might be. Could you give us an example on where you have seen systems thinking come to a complex social issue rather than systemic thinking? In terms of an example, I think we we, we see these everywhere. I worked on a project in Mount Druitt some years ago, The Hive, which I think you know about, Sharon. Mm -hmm. And what we were trying to do there was think about what was happening in early childhood for people who lived in Mount Druitt. And we're trying to think about their experience of their community, their family, and the early childhood education and care services that were available. Mm -hmm. The systematic way of doing that, and we did some of this, I can confess, Mm -hmm. is to list all the services in the area, you know, to think about each individual child and their family situation and then to write a five-year plan and then expect that you can implement the plan in a logical, rational way. And, of course, that, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So in a place-based collaboration, you know, what we tend to do is go in and try and get a sense of what's going on in the community. 
we found that there were a whole bunch of kids in Mount Druid who weren't going to preschool. So rather than reading a textbook to understand what the reasons might be, we talked to them. We talked to their parents. We talked to local service providers. We tried to understand barriers. Mm-hmm. And then we put together, you know, an initiative that was based on different voices, different understandings. And we did that in a, you know, a collaborative way. We did that in concert with each other. So I think there was a really sharp contrast between the way some of us are taught how to do this work. You mm. analyse, you plan, you deliver, as opposed to immersing yourself in the situation, trying to understand what's going on, trying to understand different dynamics, trying to understand politics, and then finding a way through together. I don't mm. want to confuse things with too much terminology, but the, the language of co-design and collaborative practice start to come in mm-hmm. when you're thinking about things in a more integrated dynamic kind of way. Mm. So that's a lovely example, the Mount Dread example. And I must say too, I I too am being guilty of approaching things systematically only to find that I fall on my face and have to work more systemically. So I, I completely hear what you're saying. So Bruce, what are you seeing as the role of systems thinking in tackling complex social issues? Well, the idea of, of using systems thinking for complexity is that you focus on the idea of what if this was a system? You can't describe every part. It's volatile. It's unknown in many cases. We don't even know what we don't know in circumstances. But if we take a mindset and say, well, everything is connected to everything else in the world, so that's our assumption, therefore there is a system here. So let's just think as though this is a system and allow ourselves to be surprised as we start to make sense of it. And then you start to sweep in the knowledge, the voices of many, many people, and gradually there's this key thing happens, and this is a word which I would like to become as common as systems thinking, mm-hmm. emergence. Something unexpected comes out. As we start to see the different voices or hear them, we get an emergent idea, something that can't be traced back to any one particular thing but is unique to that particular complex situation. Mm. That emergent idea gives us something to lever to improve the complex situation. Mm. System thinking will never lead to a solution because by definition we believe we never know everything. But it does emerge levers and they're quite exciting. Bruce, I think you've brought in something really powerful, that notions that systems thinking isn't leading us to a solution. Just wanting to get your take on that, David, about systems thinking and complexity and this whole idea about solutions not being the the goals that you're aiming towards. Yeah, look, I think one of the distinctions, which is obviously very old, but but I think very helpful, is between mechanical, ecological and human approaches to understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think traditionally a lot of us draw upon some mechanical metaphors when we try to explain things. And so that's from the scientific revolution and those sorts of things. We think we can sort of engineer a very specific solution to a problem. You know, a computer is a, a sort of mechanical or electronic system. And if there's something wrong with it, we replace a part, mm-hmm. you know, we repair it, and there's a, you know, the problem solved. We also use this, these ideas around you know, nature and ecological metaphors. We understand things as though there's a natural dynamic to them. 
And that's important and useful too. But if we're talking about complex social issues, that leaves out sort of psychology and politics because they don't occur in a natural ecosystem. When you start playing with social or human systems, then you've got all this added complexity about what makes us human. Mm. It's not a neat, rational system like a mechanical system, so there is no one solution. It's messy, it's complex, there's psychology, Mm. there's politics, there are the psychological boundaries that we put around our own understanding and the, in inverted commas, solutions that we offer. So mm. for me, that's, that's the key way to understand that distinction. Mm. When we talk about the idea of this one correct solution, we're using a mechanical metaphor that just misses too much of complex human life. Interesting. So, Bruce, you want to say something to that? Well, I think that what David is really highlighting is a real problem that occurs in society and particularly in management and business and so on. We have a complex issue. We think we've got a solution. So we put the issue away. We say we've done with that, we move on. Mm-hmm. What systems thinking is revealing to us that we can never, ever finish with complexity. As long as that complex issue is part of our environment and our circumstances, it'll always be there. Mm-hmm. And our task is never to take it off the agenda, but rather to keep sweeping in information about it, knowledge, and looking for new emergent ideas, which will allow us to, in, to continue to improve. And this is no longer just talk in the world. I mean, the British government has introduced a systems thinking apprenticeship, Mm. which they give a a significant amount of money to organisations who will give someone two days a week to learn to be a systems thinker and use systems thinking within their business because of that need that the country was running into so much problem with complexity not being dealt with because of the mechanical solution-orientated dominance of management and decision-makers. So I I think we're we're at the cusp of a really significant transformation in the way in which people address complexity. So I'm just wondering at that practical level, and, and you've already started to bring this in, Bruce, around what the British government's doing, and David's also talked about some of the Mount Druitt work. I'm wanting to see if you're working on an initiative, you're trying to hold change, you're trying to hold people's thinking open long enough to do exploration, which is a really hard thing, isn't it? You know, having people sitting there developing the understanding and the learning side when we're all taught, as you've said, to jump in to find the solution and to chase what that solution is. Can you give us an example on on how people could step into using systems thinking in their work, in their exploration, in trying to tackle these complex issues? For me, the the starting point is saying to yourself, I don't know the answer. Making that confession, if you like, and in some circumstances, or acknowledgement is really important if you're going to be a, a systems thinker because that enables you to get rid of some of your assumptions. The biggest threat is the assumptions I make which cause me to block out that multiple dimensions flowing in and me hearing them, or the group I'm working with hearing them. Mm. But the first thing we need to do is say, we don't know the answer. We don't know exactly what all this means. 
And here are the assumptions we're putting aside into the parking lot for the time being while we look at something. Mm-hmm. Now, if we can get that far and really park our assumptions so that we're quite happy if someone says as the conversation goes on, what are you assuming? And being reminded that you've suddenly started to shape uh, by some assumption that you said you'd parked. But then the, the goal is to have techniques that enable you to actually really hear the voice of people, not mm. through some filter, but legitimate voices in their original free-flowing form, meaning that the person is not self-censoring either. They're sharing all their take on the situation. If I, you know, you take any situation in life, and an obvious one is we see a car crash and there are six witnesses. And we've all heard the stories about all the six witnesses saw something mm-hmm. different. And the policeman is actually has to be a system sinker because he has to emerge what really happened out of the six perspectives. But that's the sort of thing that we need to happen to get into system thinking. Mm-hmm. And if we can just do that sweeping in and allow our assumptions not to colour it and build ourselves what we call a rich picture of the situation, then we're taking a huge first step into Mm. system thinking. Beautiful. Bruce, can I just explore that with you a little bit further? Mm. One of the things that you said was that we need to set our own assumptions to the side. We often work in organisations where people are promoted because of the assumptions they hold and because of the ways that they are seen to be the holders of these solutions and, and coming up with the answer. And often when we're trying to work in this complexity, we need to really make sure that we're holding decision makers in the work as we go. So have you got any tricks or tips that you could share with people on how you can work with such people to both bring the assumptions to the fore and help them set them to the side? What you say is so critical and what blocks a whole lot of user system thinking. One of the fundamental characteristics of system thinking is egalitarianism. No one is more expert than anyone else. Because when you're working with situations, you don't know who holds the piece of the puzzle which is going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I've got one example from a few years ago. I was working with Coca-Cola, who know I tell this story, so they won't be upset. But they had a real problem with the um, vanilla Coke that they created after the 2000 Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. It was try and keep the momentum of Coca-Cola that had been built up during the Olympic Games. And it was a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. And they got in the best marketing people in the world to look at the way in which they were strategizing and implying it and so on. And it just no one knew where to go. Mm-hmm. But everyone that came in as an expert, they used their expertise to make a decision. Eventually, we were able to convince them to have a huge meeting of a cross-section of the whole of the Sydney organisation, Coca-Cola. From the back of the room, a person who thought he was wasting his time, he drove, He delivered the vanilla Coke and he says, I don't know what your problem is. He says, we take the stuff in. It's a khaki colour. It's um, as soon as we walk out, we put it where you tell us to. As soon as we walk out, they put it to the bottom, the owners, Mm -hmm. because they don't want to spoil the look of the brown Coke, which sells so well. Mm -hmm. And he says, everybody knows that. Now, that gentleman was the only person in the room who knew that. Mm The great difficulty for us is to celebrate the fact that everybody who contributes is an expert from their own perspective. Mm. And you never know which part is it. So what do we have to do with the management, the decision makers and so on? Mm. Is get them to realise 
that every single person that reports to them or is in the organization is an expert in their own way. Mm. And we get the knowledge by celebrating it, by mm. saying diversity is what we need, not sameness. Mm. Beautiful. Thanks, Bruce. What about your take on that, David? Well, try and give you a practical example that links mm. the last couple of things to use the Mount Druid example again. When I was working in Mount Druid, we had a governance group that had very clear and I would suggest very mechanical expectations around Mm -hmm. how we would set up a community collaboration. And one of the suggestions that was, well, suggestion slash orders that came down from this governance group was to do a complete audit of every service in the postcode. Mm -hmm. And we worked out there were about 500 It was massive. This is what I'd been told to do. So I I had a go at doing that. And by the time I took that back, and obviously the task started to look a bit ridiculous, don't worry about that, get Mm. onto this. And I was told to go out and do something else. Mm. Mm. And I thought, yeah, this is is not going to work. And I was fortunate enough that we had a community development person on the team Mm. and said, okay, I'm going to do what I'm told to do, you know, more or less, I'll spend some time on it. I need you to go out and do something else. Mm-hmm. And so Ben went out and rather than creating Excel spreadsheets and things, he went out and started to talk to the mums of children who were dropping their kids off at the local school, mm-hmm. literally just wandered up to them in the street and said, can I have a chat? I want to understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And over time, he built up a whole bunch of qualitative anecdotal information. Mm. And we just started to send that through to the governance group Mm. rather than Excel spreadsheets and dot points in typed Word documents and what have you. And so that was a a way of us starting to shift how Mm. other people saw things. We tried to show them something that they hadn't asked for, but once they got it, they sort of thought, wow, this is really valuable. How do we leverage this? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Now let me take you to the next step in the process. Mm-hmm. And so that was a way of trying to, to deal with those sorts of issues when you had people who thought they were the experts, thought that that meant they could sort of dictate tasks and processes. And again, I think it was looking for that one solution. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to show a different way of thinking and working And over time, that was completely embraced, but it took, you know, perhaps 12 months. Mm. And probably what made the the biggest difference in the end was we said, we're going to have a workshop in Mount Druitt. And a number of people on the governance group lived and worked a long way from Mount Druitt and couldn't make it. Uh And we said, well, look, we need these voices in the room when we're making decisions if you don't have the time or if this is not important enough or whatever, Mm. then it's actually going to have to be your voice that's left out. Mm. Mm. And that created a really interesting dynamic where, Mm. you know, different people started to come to meetings, decisions were made in different ways and so on. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So there's been a couple of challenges that we've been leaning into around bringing systems thinking in to the work as we try to hear diversity, we try to set aside assumptions, we try to make room for the systems thinking. And, And we've also, I think, from what you've said, David, picked up on the notion that 
when people don't necessarily know what to do with complexity, that they often just get busy getting tasks done and ask for lots and lots of information that may or may not be impacting on what you're wanting to do, like the spreadsheets that you were talking about. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time exploring not only these, but some of the other challenges that you see when we're trying to step into holding systems thinking to help us with our social complexity. Bruce, what other challenges have you come across? One of the challenges is I've just talked about getting rid of assumptions and that mm. sort of business, but at the same time, I don't want to rip people's expertise away from them. Ah. One, it's important that people acknowledge their own expertise that they've got, but understand it in a context of multiple expertise. Mm-hmm. The problem that, that David was highlighting in his example was the fact that there was a tendency to think my expertise is the only expertise that's relevant. Mm -hmm. And so it's when we say, oh, you've got to let things go, people tend to go back and shrink. They don't want me. They don't like me type situation. Mm -hmm. In actual fact, we love them. Mm -hmm. But we want them to see that they are one among many, not the only one. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important barrier if it's not overcome. Mm -hmm. Because if you have sufficient power, you can keep, pushing your single voice, your single point of view. Mm. Anonymity of data collection is a way to overcome that, where you design techniques which enable people to contribute, but through the process, they're anonymous. Mm. And so Mm. what we're moving our focus away from is from people to the material, to the knowledge. Mm. Mm. And you make knowledge the centre rather than people the centre. So, again, one of the, the barriers that can step in is if people can't let go of the need for themselves. Quick little example. Mm-hmm. I was doing something in America a few years ago with the alternative oil industry, and I ran a, a workshop at a university which had 50 experts from across America came to it. Mm-hmm. And I decided that no one would have a name tag with their name on it, just the name of the street they lived in. Uh-huh. And so you still had a tag and you could say, like, I live in Elizabeth Drive. They Beyond mine would be Elizabeth Drive. And so if they talked to me, they said, hey, Elizabeth Drive. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a wonderful way of depowering our egos so that it came about the oil. And these were nine factions who had a great, uh, they told me, dislike for each other. <laughs> end of the day, except for one person who at the end got up and said, well, I'm disappointed. I would have liked to have known who said what so I could uh-huh. deal with it. But the other 49 people said this was a fantastic release and I've been able to say to the people who collect the grease from the restaurants, I think the, the collection of the grease is a great way to build up our oil reserves. Mm. I couldn't say that if I knew who said it. Uh-huh. Interesting. So, so that separation overcomes one of the huge barriers we have. Mm. Um, because ego certainly gets in the way. I don't mean that nastily. It's mm. just being ourselves and wanting to be heard. Mm. Mm. If we let that go and the collective then becomes the, the holder of the knowledge rather than the individual. Mm. What about from your perspective, David, either riffing off what Bruce has said about challenges or other challenges that come to mind for you? One of the biggest challenges is actually language popular concepts, popular writing on systems Mm -hmm. can get in the way. 
So I think people can start adopting systems language with a technical orientation. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of systems is that you get sort of beyond the technical, rational, linear. Mm-hmm. But it's really easy to treat the terms and concepts in that way. Uh-huh. And I've been a perpetrator of this myself. You know, I've known about, in broad terms, systems, language systems thinking since I was an undergrad in the 1990s. And still, about three years ago, when I started talking to Bruce about my research, I, you know, I was dealing with PhD research. Mm-hmm. It's often got quite a technical element. And I started to get quite lost in, I was trying to fuse together a bunch of theory that I had from political science or wherever mm-hmm. with some of these systems ideas. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bruce and I were having these regular conversations and I think Bruce had probably just about had enough of me. <laughs> and I sort of understood it, but I just, to go to one of Bruce's points, I hadn't let go of all of the technical mm. and I had to completely let it go. Mm. So just to go back to where I started, I think it's really easy to pick up sort of just enough systems language and tools to be dangerous if that doesn't come with the mindset, the orientation, mm. the way of being in the world. Mm, beautiful. Have you got any advice, David, for people who are not sitting with the PhD lens and so they're, they're holding down their technical work within organisations and you're wanting to invite them to explore or to, to look at what this technical is and how do I let it go? Have you got any advice for such people on how they might go about that? Well, to be honest, Bruce is probably going to have better suggestions than me. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I don't know this well and I certainly would not claim to be an expert, mm-hmm. but I think that us Westerners, in inverted commas, brought all our science to Australia mm-hmm. and we polluted the waterways and we ruined the land. <laughs> you know, we, we, we did all these things. First Nations people knew long before we got here that it's all connected mm-hmm. and that, you know, the way that we started farming would, would destroy the land and polluting the rivers would have flow-on effect and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. So I think you could probably do worse than then try to see the world through some of those different lenses, Mm -hmm. step back and think, okay, this is not about me and my role, my job, my corporation or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Step back and try and look at the interrelationships between whatever it is that's in focus, that's part Mm -hmm. of what you're dealing with and try to look for those relationships. Have conversations, as we've been saying, with people who have different perspectives you know, try and see the world through the eyes of another. I think though, it, it's when you're prepared to, to let go of your position, your technical knowledge, your language, and just try and understand relationships that are, that are bigger and, and beyond you, mm-hmm. that, that the world starts to make sense in a different way. Mm. Some people might have read the book, Small is Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And in the case of system thinking, small is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. I would suggest anyone who wants to get started in system thinking and play with it and start to build their confidence is to do it on the smallest issue that you've got facing you at the moment. Mm-hmm. It may be deciding what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. And I would, um, with a bit of paper, I doodle in the sense of now, 
who's going to be at dinner tonight, what are they like, what are their skills and such like, and if Dad's going to enjoy dinner tonight, what does he expect of the rest of us? What does he need from us? And so you start to ask the basic systems question, just a little exercise like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this is a really important issue, dinner with the family, but <laughs> it, it gives you a little bit of free play. Mm-hmm. And the same at work. Don't try and change the whole workforce overnight. The whole idea of systems thinking is to think in within boundaries, within something you can control. When I go to many workshops where people sit in the workshop saying what they should do is this, mm. and they are always usually a level above, but, you know, out there, and I believe that these are systems workshops, I say, no, 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 we can't do anything about that. They're in our mm. environment. What we have to work with is the things we control. Mm. Systems thinking is about that. That's the starting point. So my advice to getting into it is pick something quite meaningless, if you like, it doesn't mm. really catastrophe, but really play for it and ask mm. those questions like, well, I've got five parts in this little system. What does each one of them need from the other so that it can do it part better mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. enjoy it better? And just a simple thing like that, so you start to build coherence, mm. not a jargon word, but coherence means relationships which fit together. Mm. Yes, there's nothing like playing together to learn how to play together, is there? That's right. One thing about systems thinking, if you can't do the process on the back of an envelope with a pencil, it's probably too complex. Ah, interesting. So we have been leaning a lot into the challenges of bringing systems thinking into complex social issues. And we've also talked about how you can overcome some of them. But what are the perks? What are some of the things about systems thinking that you think will work? So we've, we've talked about some of the ways of working. So we've talked about some ways of stepping into the work. Is there anything else that you'd like to offer around, well, this is what works? I got some bad news. What? Systems thinking is never a recipe. Beautiful. Every, <laughs> every situation is different. Mm-hmm. So... It's about having a process of approaching something Mm -hmm. rather than a set of techniques. For instance, I have the process, which I've already mentioned, about trying to build a sweeping in of information anonymously. Mm -hmm. Now, how I do that varies enormously. And I would be quite horrified if someone looked over my shoulder at one of my programs and wrote everything down that I did and Uh then tried it somewhere else. It'd be wrong for people to think, ah, if I do that technique, I'll change the world. However, having said that, I have found a a way of collecting, which I've called conversation mapping, Mm -hmm. to be a superb way to break the ice, bring great happiness to a group as they Mm -hmm. release their knowledge, even about the saddest and the most serious things, because the release of the knowledge, the process itself Mm. is enabling and empowering Conversation mapping is a situation where you have about eight people around a a large table covered with a tablecloth with paper they can write on. In the centre of it, you write the stirring question, the starter, if you like, the exploratory Mm -hmm. question. Everyone has a different coloured pencil, so you're immediately, or pen, you're creating the sense of after a short time, no one knows who's colour who, Mm -hmm. and building anonymity into it. And they start commenting on what's the centre, but then they comment what each other are saying. Mm -hmm. And so you build out 
the map, it just spreads like a network of ideas going out where different colours are intermingled as different people bring in their different ideas. And this is a, an incredible way of breaking the ice, if you like, in terms of doing something different because mm-hmm. we pick up with this rich picture of multiple ideas. Then taking a few minutes to put our pens down and read what's in front of us to see the patterns that emerge. And all of a sudden, let's put those things together and we've got an emergent idea. I can see something like that being of great value, both at the developing understanding of the issue phase, as well as exploration of, so what are we going to do about it? And or we've done something about it, so what are we going to do next? I can see that that, that as, a, as an idea could be planted as a part of at different points along your change journey. What about yourself, David? I think that the way that I tend to think about this is a a shift from focusing on specific process, Mm. planned process, to working more organically from first principles, Mm. from having that systems orientation. And then I think it's really, for practitioners, it's about learning by doing. Mm being prepared to be wrong in inverted commas. You're observing, you're taking note, you're respecting others, you know, really being prepared to be a learner through the process, I think, Mm. is really important. One of the things that you both seem to be coming up with is that to step in and make systems thinking work for you and for the change that you're trying to make, that we need to think about it as a process, not a formula. And that process is deeply rooted in place as well as the issue that you're looking at. And the other thing that you've both said is is it's really about thinking of posing the next question, thinking of what is it that is the question that I need to be asking here, having a go, even if it is that 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 doesn't work, my question doesn't work, it didn't get us where we need to, let's explore that again. Let's go back again and see where we need to be. Has that captured it and or have I misrepresented something or is there something you'd like to add to that? I think that's captured it neatly and the only thing I'd add to it is that Mm -hmm. the question needs to be an exploratory one. Uh The questions in system thinking must never be closed They're never yes or no. It's not unusual when you're dealing with a a complex situation in a community that you might have three rounds of exploration. Mm -hmm. You start off with a fairly generic widespread one and out of that come a set of questions or emergent ideas which we really say we don't understand these. So Mm -hmm. we take them not to go and leave her but to question and Mm -hmm. develop further and then we might do that again until Mm. we get down to a point where we're now getting quite detailed and specific so the levers are applicable, Mm. we know that we can actually do these sorts of things. And I love what you've brought in that sort of deepening, peeling the onion on the issue rather than, yes, we've gone out, we've had these conversations now, we've done our theming, so what are we going to do about it? What about you, David? I think you just touched on the... the the first thought that came to mind for mm-hmm. me, which is about reflection. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a facilitator group situation, I think thinking about reflection of the facilitator and the group, so how you're reflecting and learning as you go. Mm-hmm. And skilled practitioners can do this 
you know, on a solo basis for sure. But I think where you've got more than one person, it can be really good when you've got someone, you know, if they're in front of the room or, you know, actively working with a group that you can actually quarantine a little bit of time for a co-facilitator to reflect by themselves, to listen and reflect by themselves so that they can think about what next without it being a sort of knee-jerk reaction. It can be a more, you know, thought through, Mm. reflected upon next step Mm. than that, you know, creates a much better journey for, for, for all participants. Mm, beautiful. Something else that you've brought in about the reflection, David, that I think has been a real theme throughout today's conversation is that Bruce said earlier, we can't take the issue, we can't take the complexity out of the conversation. One of the things that you've also both been talking about is that we can't take ourselves out of any of this at any stage. We're a part of it, aren't we? We're not some sort of all-seeing, all-knowing, facilitating bystander here. We are, by being there, we are in the work and and our thinking is a part of it. I think it's about being very conscious, aware, reflecting upon how we're showing up, Mm -hmm. how we're bringing ourselves, what we're doing and how we're doing it in the now, Mm -hmm. but also what we're going to do and how we're going to do it next. Mm -hmm. And that's about ourselves and others together. So it's it feels to me like we've also almost been having a masterclass in this. As we had said earlier, people, we, we are, all of us, myself included, you know, did a master's in business management some years ago. We learned how to do systems thinking in a technical way very well, you know, did quite well at the course, found that it actually didn't serve me for the social change work that I later stepped into. And we have talked about that there's a great opportunity to just have a go. And Bruce is offering that you have, if we have a go at something small to start off with and to have have a go at something that we understand, like having the family to dinner or something small at our work, it's a way to start. Are there any other suggestions that you've got for how people might strengthen their systems thinking muscle, how they might learn how to do this stuff more within their work? I think if they can discipline themselves to always think of the verbs and mm-hmm. decrease the amount of time they spend with the nouns, the doing words, to go back to a kindergarten expression, are so critical in system thinking. Mm-hmm. And too often we we go to the noun and overlook the verb. And I think you can strengthen your muscle if you start deliberately looking for the verb in every exchange or verbs in every exchange, and saying, what are these verbs meaning? What are we, what, what's the doing that's being involved here? And is that really building the relationship in an improved way, or is it actually curtailing the relationships that exist? Mm. I look at information flow a lot or knowledge flow between things. I'm continually focused on that, if you like, when I'm working with groups. And so I'm saying, okay, to make sense of what that mean we have to do. Uh-huh, I see. What's the relationship that has to be in place that I actually make sense? I just don't give mouth talk to that sort of thing mm. and say, oh, yes, that's an in-word, that's a good thing to say. What am I actually meaning? Okay, what relationships now do I have to have between the parties to make sense, which may be quite different to the relationships I might have if we're coming up with an agenda for the next meeting and mm. ordering things. Mm. But that's what I mean, is getting behind just the language into the meaning. 
Because we often, when we're writing our purposes for our work or our objectives, we will use the verbs up front like explore, develop understanding of, etc. And then we ignore that part of the sentence and go to the thing itself, don't we? You're quite right. So that we might say to explore the causal factors of family violence and then we get into family violence rather than the explore part of that statement. Mm. That's right. Well, exactly what I'm saying, because the others will be there at different times. Mm. We'll, we'll have ones which are much more applied, but if we haven't got the relationships right during the explore mm. and actually really explored, then mm. what we do later on is bereft of the exploration. Mm. Beautiful. Is there anything you'd like to add or pivot that to, David? I think that, that for me, if, if people want to play a little bit in this space, mm. I just suggest starting outside the work context if your position, you know, is at risk or if you don't want to do any harm to a project or a community or whatever it might be, play with these ideas in a safe space, take mm. them somewhere else. Mm. Once you start to think that way, it's really hard to turn it off. Mm. And so then when you're in a work situation, it's not like you're making some very specific conscious effort and, mm. oh, no, what if I get it wrong? It's just a fairly natural way of thinking where things relate to each other, where different people's perspectives are important. And it mm. just becomes, a, before, a bit of an orientation to the world. So I think, you know, we should probably downplay training mm. and exact language and very specific methods mm. and play up on the ways of thinking about the world and I'm going to play with some of them and I'm going to see where that takes me and I'm Mm. going to see what's useful and what works in conversation with other people and so on. Mm, Beautiful. I'd like to tie this conversation back into some of the movement making now. So that for us is about getting enough people to be rowing in a direction so that change is possible. Okay. Systems thinking in itself is not an individual behavior Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a a collective behavior therefore if you're just taking an example that david's talked about with getting with some friends and and talking about some little issue that you've all got and such like it's the start of a movement from Mm -hmm. a system thinking point of view or a potential movement Mm. because what happens to move something from a system conversation to a movement is the idea that we need to transform what exists at the moment. In Mm. other words, we have to go beyond just playing at the edges with a few minor changes, incremental adjustments here and there, to the fact that fundamentally this needs to be done in a different way. Mm. Now, Mm. systems thinking provides the conversational tool for Uh. moving from that incrementalism to transformation. Mm. or radical change. Now, a couple of things are important we haven't talked about. The first thing that a system has a purpose, mm-hmm. one purpose, one system. Mm-hmm. And we often get ourselves into a lot of bother when we start to suddenly find we've introduced two or three other purposes and we're still considering we've only got one purpose. Mm-hmm. So, and we've got people with different agendas and all sorts of things start to break down. This is what destroys movements. Mm. So it's really important if we're thinking of a movement of or an action, a collective action against something to change something, that we keep a single purpose. Mm. 
The second thing is a sense of boundaries. Mm-hmm. All systems have boundaries. The boundaries are there to guide us from time to time. But the important thing is we all know what the boundary is when we're in that system's process, that system's in process. So we often talk about porous boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that means that things can come in and out of them. But if everybody doesn't know that, in other words, the boundaries are confused or opaque, then that will prevent a movement from evolving from the exercise. Mm -hmm. The third thing is that we're really striving for is an understanding of the hierarchy of a particular process that we're going through, that it has an environment Mm -hmm. which is outside our control but we would like to influence a system which we control in the sense that all the parts are agreed on the common purpose and they're relating together, Mm -hmm. and subsystems, which are the parts that make up that system and which are the working dimensions and will become the actions of the movement, Mm -hmm. and that those are all coherent. In other words, there is a relationship between them which is in harmony. Give us an example that that explains the environment, the system and the subsystems. I'm at the moment working with a a community group here about Jervis Bay where where I live. Jervis Bay is a near pristine situation but rapidly being exploited by tourism and other sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so there's a group of people who call themselves Jervis Bay Unspoiled. Mm-hmm. And and they're forming a movement. Mm-hmm. Now they have a very clear purpose. It is to transform the systems which are spoiling the bay. Mm-hmm. And that's that stands there as a hierarchy. Now, under that, there are many things, like some people are interested in the boundaries of the marine park, others mm-hmm. about the foreshore, some the sand dunes. Mm-hmm. And these are all the different subsystems, if you mm-hmm. like, which would exist in the system. Now, the environment is all the forces of industry and government and other things that are totally outside the group of 60-odd people who are in the movement mm. um, doing their thing. And all we can do is build a system and its subsystems so we influence the way. Mm. So this morning, for instance, I was asked, the, the local council's having a meeting about it, and what are my three top priorities for this? And mm. so I came out with, Ecotourism is our future income source, Mm -hmm. that the health of all the parts of the system are a primary care situation, Mm -hmm. and that biodiversity is always the lens in which we look at the the fauna and the flora around the place. Now, those three things are only a minuscule of what's wanted, but Mm -hmm. they're a chance that I had this morning as a member of the movement to influence. Yeah, beautiful. Is there anything that you'd like to add or contribute to that concept of systems thinking for movement building, David? I don't think so. I think that that's, that's been pretty well captured. Mm-hmm. I'll make some, some brief observations. That, that When you asked Bruce for an example, you know, an example came to mind for me mm-hmm. that at face value, I thought, oh, that's quite different. And as soon as Bruce started talking, I thought, oh, that's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned at the beginning that I've done quite a bit of work with social housing communities. Mm-hmm. And I've done that both working from government and outside of government. And one of the things that I've observed over the past couple of years, so a number of public housing estates are being redeveloped in New South Wales and local communities 
expressed some pretty significant concerns about the fact that that's being done, but also how it's being done. Mm -hmm. And so they've started to, a couple of these communities have started to talk to each other and have created a movement Mm -hmm. to to try and influence the way government conducts these sorts of projects. So Mm -hmm. to use Bruce's distinction, the the system that they've sort of played playing with is, you know, this this network of a couple of different communities. They sort of brought themselves together and said, okay, we want to create this movement. Mm -hmm. Within that, they've got their own estate communities to think Mm -hmm. about. Some of them are part of volunteers in organisations, you know, they've got their, so they've got these subsystems. And then when you think beyond that to the environment, you know, they're trying to influence government policy. They're trying to influence, you know, the way these projects are conducted at a statewide level. They have no Mm. control over that, but that's what Mm. they would like to influence. Mm. So same sort of thing, you know, an issue that's important to some local communities, they've got a sense of their system. Mm-hmm. There are subsystems to that and there's an environment they want to influence. So mm-hmm. the same sort of thing, I think. Beautiful, lovely examples, lovely examples. I've really been enjoying today's conversation and it's got my thinking pinging off in several directions around both the work that I hold locally with my within my own community as well as as I step in to support others in doing their change processes. So thank you very much, just even at a personal level. As we're winding up the podcast, though, I'd really like you to think if there's one piece of wisdom from today's conversation that you'd like others to know, what would it be? The takeaway that I'd like to offer is Mm -hmm. from a systems thinker, Russell Ackoff, Mm -hmm. who talks about the difference between doing things right and doing the right thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you're doing the right thing, this is what Bruce was talking about with purpose. Mm-hmm. The, the system that you're thinking about or wanting to work on, if it's doing the right thing, then you can improve it, you can make it more efficient and that's, that's appropriate. But if it's not doing the right thing and you try to, to do things right to make them more efficient, you can actually produce a worse outcome mm-hmm. because the system isn't set up in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first question I ask when I start thinking about something as a system. Is it doing the right thing? If it is, okay, we can try and enhance it a little bit. If it's not doing the right thing, then I want to start thinking about how we change its purpose. What about for you, Bruce? Yeah, I think reflecting on today's conversation, the, the point that I would want to emphasise is don't try and do it alone. Mm. Find someone to do it with. I've been with many places that have run courses where people send a representative along to learn systems thinking. Mm-hmm. And while we're all together in the course, it's a brilliant performance and such like. And they go they go back to their organisation and they're the only person in systems thinking. Mm-hmm. And the forces of reductionism, the alternative way of thinking, are so great that they quickly disappear. Mm-hmm. But I have found time and time again if an organisation sends two or three people along to a course and they learn system thinking and they build up some systems ideas with others in the group, when they go home and can support each other, it only takes three in a group of ten mm. to introduce system thinking. A little bit of reinforcement because system thinking makes so much sense mm. when you're on the ground. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Well, look, 
I could listen to you too for a lot longer, but I, I am mindful that we need to bring our podcast to a conclusion. So thank you both very much for today. And I would just like to let our listeners know that our next podcast and our podcasts go up on the last Monday of each month. We won't be having one go up on the, at the end of December, but we our next podcast is going to be focused on new economies, so building movements for new economies. We look forward to you joining us then as we step into 2023. But thank you again, Bruce and David, for your contribution today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.